0: So uh, we recently had a hurricane come to town, didn't we? Lots of limbs fell, lots of damage. Uh, Some got it worse than others. Well, on December 26th, 2004, a massive earthquake ruptured along the coastline of Indonesia, sending a towering tsunami across uh, multiple coastlines. And destroying much. When the waters finally receded, the whole country was in shock to hear that over 280,000 men, women, and children were killed in this storm. <clears throat> one question loomed in the heart of the world was what do we do with a God who would allow such tragedy to happen? Well, one person by the name of Heather Macdonald Was an author, and she wrote an article in Slate magazine. Uh, And she said, she titled her article this. She said, "It's time that uh, we urge God, or excuse me, she said, "Uh, send God a message. He has gone too far this time." And in this article, she urged people of faith to take a more proactive role in world events. It's time to boycott God, she said. Yes, people of faith were encouraged at this time by Heather MacDonald to wean off any notion of a supreme being who would like to intervene on behalf of human flourishing over the betterment of human life. This is what she said. She said, Centuries of uncritical worship have clearly produced a God, or excuse me, c- clearly produced a monster. God knows that he can sit passively by while human life is wantonly mowed down. And on the next day, churches, synagogues, and mosques will be filled with believers thanking him for allowing the survivors to survive. The faithful will ask him to heal the wounded while ignoring the, His failure to prevent the disaster in the first place. Where is God's incentive to behave? He gets the credit for all the good things and no blame for the bad. This was her conclusion. This was her opinion of how to respond to this disaster that was looming over everyone. Maybe Miss McDonald forgot how God intervened for the Israelites in the exodus. Redeeming them and saving them from an, from a a dead end road of slavery, maybe Miss McDonald forgot the crucial story of how of Esther and how God intervened on behalf of humanity and did the same thing again for his chosen people. It could be possible that Miss McDonald even forgot or maybe never heard of god 's pivotal moment in time when he sent his son to die for the sins of the world, giving people a chance of restoration and forgiveness of their sins. Heather McDonald got a wrong opinion of God. Uh, she wrote an article in a magazine that went out to many people, and they were maybe, thought, maybe tempted to think of God in a different light. Well, today I want to reaffirm you that that is not a correct version of God. If it was a version of God, if that was the real God, then I would boycott that God as well. But God is not one that does not intervene on our behalf. He is very much involved with us. Uh, go to two more slides over. There, is, uh, two, there are two verses that I want to highlight, which reveal to us the character of God before we get started in our reading of Acts. And the first one is 1 Peter 3, 9 which says the heart of God. It says the Lord is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And then 1 Timothy 2.4 says that God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We see here the heart of God. Uh, throughout the Old Testament, we see a loving God who is dedicated to rescuing people from their disastrous sin and bringing them back to victory in in life over their sin. God's rescue mission culminates in the New Testament uh, through the sending of his Son, where once and for all the problem of sin was dealt with, and we have a Savior who is the great high priest who takes over all of our sins. God clearly, throughout all of Scripture, is definitely involved in restoration and making things right with humanity. He is not absent. Restoration takes hard work, and thankfully, God is a hard worker. But if it is God's desire that all people come to knowledge of truth, if it is God's desire for everyone to be saved, then why isn't that a reality? Why don't we see that? Why isn't everybody a believer? Well, the reason for that is because some people make the same decision today that Adam and Eve made back in the beginning of time. Adam and Eve chose to reject God's way and choose their own way. Instead of being submissive to the authority of God, they wanted to ask God to submit to their authority. And They wanted to ask God to submit to their uh, preferences. Some people do this today. They ask God, instead of following his authority, they say, well, God can submit to my ideas, my beliefs, my preferences, my agendas, my long-term goals. And this is why we see people turning away from God. Restoration is hard work. And sadly, some people don't want to put in the effort So this next slide I showed before, it is my heart that nobody in this room can relate to this picture. I hope that after the storms this weekend, your backyard does not look like this. Uh, I think that's a pretty safe bet. However, it is my realistic thought that some of us can relate to this picture metaphorically. And though we cannot relate to it physically, maybe it represents something uh, about our own life, about the internals of our own life. Maybe this picture represents our relationship with others. It's damaged. It's broken. There's debris and rubble around. Maybe it represents your relationship with God, trying to fix it up. Uh, Maybe it represents your finances. Maybe it represents uh, the anxieties you carry inside and can't get past. If that is you, If you can relate to this picture at some state in your being, I do not want you to think of this stage in your life as the dead end, but think of it as a crossroads because our decisions during difficult times have significant consequences. Uh, C.S. Lewis gave us great uh, wisdom when he coined these uh, phrases. Go to the next slide. Um, He said this. He said... Uh, Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I've heard that quote a long time ago, and I can't get it out of my head. It makes perfect sense. Martin Luther said that one of his best teachers was difficulty. He said, Affliction is the best book in my library. Again, we see that our decisions during difficult times have significant consequences. Paul and the early uh, missionaries, the early uh, apostles, when they were sent out uh, by God, they had their fair share of difficulties as well. Right now we're in Acts chapter 14, but I I quickly, as I was preparing for this, I did a glance of Acts 1 through 13, and I, I was looking at how their missionary journey has gone so far, some of you all remember the dream team from the 90s. You remember like Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, Hakeem Olajuwon, the dream team? Well, this right here reminded me of the dream team. These apostles, this first missionary trip, uh, you've got people that walked and talked with Jesus, saw his miracles, were empowered uh, miraculously by the Holy Spirit in Acts 1 8 uh, to go and spread this gospel. They're on a mission trip. They're the dream team. So you would think, oh man, they're going to they're gonna win the gold. They're going to knock it out. It's going to be 100%. This is going to be great. Well, let's take a look at what... Let's just review some of the bad things that happened to this missionary team early on. Okay, here we go. First of all, the disciples were accused of being drunken fools. They were arrested, put multiple times in prison... They were told by the local government to stop preaching Jesus. And as I'm saying these, I want you to kind of apply them in today's time and how you would react if that happened to you in your setting. So they were accused of being drunk. They were arrested, put in prison, told by the local government to stop preaching Jesus. It was a government, it was a law that they were trying to enforce. Two of the church members fell dead because of their disingenuous faith and dishonesty. A fellow missionary, Stephen, was stoned to death in public. A government official by the name of Saul uh, was there at the stoning of Stephen and approved of it. And he led a hunt to kill and imprison Christians who were preaching the gospel. This same Saul later says he's a Christian and he comes along and wants to join the team. He wants to go on this mission journey with him, which brought... uh, distrust and disagreement between the early missionaries. Another missionary just later on in our study of Acts, James, was killed and the town celebrated it. The town celebrated it. Does this sound like things are going well? Does this sound like things are like dream team, gold medal worthy stuff? Well, no, (laughs) it doesn't. But I have just highlighted several of the harsh difficulties that they were going through during this time. I haven't mentioned all the miracles and the thousands of souls that are being saved and the healings and all the wonderful things that are going along in chapters 1 through 13 of Acts. But we tend to focus on the negative, don't we? You need to personalize this. Why do we do this? Why do we? Is it human nature? Is it something just about me? What is it that we focus? We tend to just focus on the negative. And is focusing on the negative going to help us make good decisions during these crucial, difficult times, during these crossroads of our life? So, just when you think it couldn't get worse for the early missionaries, it does. Now, let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 14 and look at verse 19. All right, here we go. Verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. It just got worse. One of the main leaders of this missionary team is left for dead. They actually did catch up with him, conspire the, or convince the crowd to stone him, and they stoned him. Stoned him so bad that they thought he was dead. Did he really die? Uh, I don't know. Uh, Did they just think he was dead? I don't know. But they thought he was dead. That's what we know. And they drug him out of the city at that point. At this moment... Can you just imagine, at this moment, the discouragement among the disciples? Can you just imagine? They're they're thinking, oh my goodness. First, Jesus was killed. Then Stephen was killed. Now, later, James was killed. Now, Paul is killed. Everybody's getting killed. Can you imagine? If you were in that situation, what would you do at that moment? See you guys. I'm out. This is going in the wrong direction. If I'm judging the trajectory of what we're doing here, this is not going right. And they probably would have had every justifiable reason to do this. I mean, think about it. If you were on a missionary team and people are dropping like flies, you would probably say to yourself, maybe we should uh, uh, go back home, recalibrate, and then you know, make a better plan for next time. You would want to abandon ship. Thankfully, they did not do that. Um, they might be thinking, well, I tried. They might be thinking things like, maybe, maybe we're not the right people for this job. Maybe our message is too narrow-minded. Uh, maybe we weren't supposed to go to that city or that city. Maybe we're in the wrong place. They're probably thinking a lot of thoughts of thinking about how they're probably doing something wrong or it's not right and it's not working out. Why? Because they're looking at this short-term, temporary Mindset; They're only thinking about things that are happening right now in this stage of their life. Okay, so let's read and see what happens next as we see how how these disciples respond to Paul just getting stoned and left for dead. Verse 20, But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe, Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Pergan, Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended by the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door to the Gentiles and, how, and they remained no little time with the disciples." Okay, so a lot of stuff happened there, but at the end of it, we see a celebration going on. Paul, Barnabas, and the other disciples go back to the church that first commissioned them on this journey, and they remained with them no little time. That means they stayed a long time, and they were celebrating all that God had done through them. Doesn't sound like they were focusing on the negatives at this point in time. It sounds like they were choosing a different mindset. So, After Paul was, the very first thing that stood out to me from this was after Paul was stoned, I would, I mean, I'm just putting myself in their shoes. Paul got stoned. I would have, it's a violent situation. I'm with Paul. I'm thinking they're coming after me next. I would have probably turned tail and hid and run. I would have just imagined all these disciples to turn and flee and scatter. But look in Acts 14, verse 15. Key word is... Gather. But when the disciples gathered about him, they gathered. I do not see any fleeing going on here. I don't see a retreat. I see a rally going on. Um, This shows unity. This shows courage. This shows dedication. And what happens next? The very next day, Paul and Barnabas and the other disciples go and preach the gospel. Okay. Get this. This is a miracle happening right now. This is a supernatural thing going on. Paul was stoned. They so bad that they thought he was dead. And the very next day, he gets up and he goes and starts preaching. They're they're doing some walking here, right? This is he's not driving a car. He's not being he didn't go to the hospital first and have x-rays taken and all that. Paul is Supernaturally healed at this point. So you can, ev- it's very clear that this is not uh, manpower going on, this is God power going on. God is working something within these people. But it gets even more astonishing. As I said before, our decisions during difficult times have significant consequences. Well, the disciples here are clearly going through difficult times right now, and I want you to look where they went you see the map on the screen? Can you see that? So if you look on the east side of your screen, you see Syria there. And if you can see the word above it is Antioch. That's the church where they were first sent out. And then they take a westward journey uh, down to the bottom of your map and then go all the way up through Pamphylia and to the the Galatian region up there, which by the way, Paul wrote Galatians. All this stuff is happening in the Galatian region. It gives you a little bit more back, background history for when you're reading Galatians about his, his uh, churches there. So he goes up. He goes to Antioch. And then right there in the middle, uh, you can see it, uh, Lystra, number 7, if you can see that. That's where Paul got stoned. And then after he got stoned, he rose, he gathered with the disciples, and they went eastward. To Derby. Interesting thing about Derby is this is where Timothy was from. You'll read about that in Acts chapter 16. And so Paul goes to Derby at this point. Uh, Why does he go there? And then it's interesting, all right? If you're trying to go back to Antioch, what would be the quickest way? It seems like it would be quicker. You've already gone from Lystra to Derby. Wouldn't it be just good just to keep on walking eastward to Antioch? He doesn't do that, though. Paul and disciples, they go back, they backtrack, and the, the map's not really clear, but they go back to Lystra, they go back to uh, Iconium, they go back to Antioch. That's interesting. One, because it doesn't make, uh, what's the word, uh, Uh, like sense where it's like ergonomics. It's not like, it's not effective. It's not efficient. You're putting in more steps going in this way. Uh, Also, you got to charter a boat to go uh, that way as well too. But think about these towns. Do you all remember? He goes back to the place where they stoned him. This is the place that, this Lystra was the town. They were a polytheistic town. They thought Paul and Barnabas were Zeus and Hermes, but then other people convinced them that they're they're not gods; they're evil. You should stone them. That's where they stoned them. Paul goes straight back to that town and continues to preach the gospel. Then he goes back up to Antioch and Iconium. Those two cities were the cities where Paul and Barnabas previously preached. But rumors, Paul and Barnabas heard that uh, they were trying to they were making threats to mistreat and stone Paul, at, or stone them at that time. So they had a death warrant out for Paul. Paul goes back to those cities. This is big. This makes you think, why did he go back to these cities? What was it about that? Well, he went for several reasons. Um, but really, one main reason. But there were several reasons. And I'm probably not going to hit all of them. But the first reason was to continue what he started. Uh, they, Paul was not just stubborn from, you know... He didn't want to just continue what he started because he was stubborn, but because he was committed. Paul knew his calling. He embraced it, and he remained steadfast to it. And that is something noteworthy for all of us because restoration is hard work, and it takes commitment. And I think I may have failed to mention something because I'm saying this word restoration a lot. It's a lot about what my talk is about this morning. And I want you to think about restoration right alongside with the gospel. And I want you to think about the gospel as more than just a ticket into heaven. The gospel is more than that. The gospel is more than just admitting you're a sinner, believing in Christ, and confessing your sins. The gospel is God's divine work of of restoration uh, throughout on planet Earth, through us and in us. Like I said before... The world was perfect in the beginning, but Adam and Eve brought sin into the world and they were removed from God's presence. And ever since that moment, God has been on a mission of restoration, trying to rescue his people, sending prophets, sending uh, 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 scriptures, sending uh, rulers, uh, so many things. God has been at work trying to bring us back to a right relationship with him. So when I use that word restoration, I want you to think about that in terms of gospel restoration, making things right that uh, are made wrong through the power of sin. Restoration is hard work and it takes commitment. That is one of the reasons uh, why Paul went back. Number two, he loved the churches there. Think about it. This is a church planning mission. He loved the churches and he had hope for them. He didn't want to leave them or abandon them. He wanted to go back and and fulfill, make sure that maybe they were make sure that they were okay. Remember, in all these cities he went to, uh, there were threats of uh, of stoning and mistreating him, but there was also many people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Paul went back to continue uh, reaching out and making relationships with them. Restoration is hard work, but we must not lose hope. Third, he wanted desperately to give the unbelievers a second chance to repent. He didn't give up on them. Uh, this was his calling and his purpose, to share the good news of Jesus Christ with everyone. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 uh, says this, For Paul said this, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I m- might win more of them. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. Paul knew his mission. He knew his calling, and he knew he put his life and his needs in the right perspective compared with other people's needs and uh, what he had to do. Restoration is hard work, and if you want to be a part of it, it takes humility. You're going to have to lower yourself down to the greatest of these, which is a servant. You're going to have to serve with humility and view yourself as that way. Uh, Restoration is hard work. It takes humility. Uh, Fourth, why did Paul go back? He made relationships with people there. Relationships were key. Think of Timothy. The very first city he went to was Derby. Uh, which is uh, where he had a relationship with Timothy. Think of all the many people. If you've read Paul's writings, you know he mentions people in his epistles. He had relationships with these churches that he was planting. And the act of restoration brings people together. Uh, You can see it in Wake Chapel. You can see it in other places as well. Restoration uh, builds teamwork. It builds relationships. Um, It builds a partnership. Uh, This next one, five, is, is crucial for all of us to know. And this is really key evidence to the validity of the Christian faith. He believed, Paul believed the gospel he was preaching was true. And he believed it so much that he was willing to go back and risk it, even if it meant possible death for him. So... This is crucial to us in our apologetics, and our understanding of, uh, is Christianity a valid religion? Well, nobody's going to die for something that they believe to be a lie. Paul went back, put himself in harm's way uh, where it was evident. I mean, like I said, they had a death warrant out for him uh, at these cities. He would not do this unless he was fully convinced that this was true. Uh, This was not some uh, thing, some lifestyle choice that he was choosing because it made him famous or brought him lots of good goods or uh, uh, followers or all that. He was doing this all for the sake of the gospel to make God known um, and less of himself and more of God. But one overarching reason for all of these reasons why Paul went back to these towns was one thing. And there's a song by an artist called Matt Papa, and he sings a song called One Thing. And uh, he, Matt, in his song, he talks about there's there's this one thing that causes people uh, to trade in their, their, their family's house in suburban America to go live in the th- slums of a third world country. There's one thing that leads some people to give up their career and stay at home to care for orphans. There's one thing that leads some people to sacrifice safety to preach in communities where Christians are persecuted. There's one thing that causes some people to continue to stand and smile and sing in the choir at 90 years of old, even though it hurts. What is this one thing? He said this in his lyrics of his song. He said, What would make a man so bold, make a woman lay her own life down? Only one thing, Jesus Christ magnified all over the world. Lifted high, glorified all over the world. Only one thing is worth everything. Jesus Christ magnified all over the world. For, the, for us now there is one thing, a choice that we all have. Living for our kingdoms or the only one that lasts. Such powerful words in that song. One thing that uh, Paul went back was the glorification of Christ, which is the next bullet on that slide there, uh, to glorify Jesus Christ. So that is the challenge. That is, the, uh, that is a choice I lay before each of us today, which is to accept the hard work of restoration or to quit, to throw in the towel. It's hard work, but it's worth it. Church, this is our purpose, to make much of Jesus And continue the work of restoration that God has started. You can see this in multiple areas of your life as well. Um, God told us to make disciples, to go, make disciples everywhere we went. Why? Because God wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. He started this mission and he's inviting us through the gospel of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit to join with him. We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making his appeal through us. Uh, This is what he wants for us. We are a team with each other and with the one who would be with us every step of the way. Restoration is hard work, but it's not impossible. There is another aspect in uh, this section of Acts chapter 14, uh, and it really takes heart in the following verses. Uh, where there's much talk about teamwork. Uh, you see right here through Paul's strategy is church planting. And you look at it and you're like, how is he going about this act of restoration and spreading the gospel? How, how are the early Christians doing this? And I wanted to highlight to you a few characteristics of a faithful missionary. Now, to, to be clear, some of these I'm giving and really addressing to those of you who are hearing my voice today who may be thinking of accepting the call to a, a full-time missionary work. Uh, maybe those, those of y'all who are considering a short-term or a long-term missionary quest, these are what uh, some characteristics that we need to consider um, as we consider about following God on this journey. First of all... Um, There is a clean... uh, Excuse me. Okay. So the first uh, characteristic I want to talk about is this. Perseverance. It takes perseverance in this quest of restoration if you're going to accept God's call into missions because you will burn out very quickly if you are going to be relying on your own power to get this God-sized task done. That's not going to happen. It's a God-sized task, and you're going to need... God, you're going to need the church as well. One will find it easy to give up if you're only seeing the temporary things. You're only focusing on the stage that you're currently in. And one will be overcome with hopelessness if they only look at their perceived failures. Remember how I was starting out talking about all the the difficulties the apostles were going through? If that's all they looked at, they would be tempted to give up. That's uh, just practically speaking, that's really one main reason why it's important for us to highlight those small or large victories that God gives us every day. Who, who in your Sunday school class has a prayer list and you have like praise and prayer items? Which one's the smallest one? The praise one. The praise one. we have like three praises and then like 20 things that we're asking God's help for, let's flip that around. Because we need to celebrate those great moments where God is actively working, small or large. Praise him for it. Remind yourself that he is actively working in your life. Don't be afraid to raise your hand and say, hey, I want to just thank God for this today. Um, We need more people to do that and to focus on God's work. Second characteristic of a faithful missionary is calling. Calling. Uh, You need to know whose you are, and you need to know who you are, and you need to trust what God has called you to and stick to that mission. That's very important, and Paul was definitely clear on that. He knew his calling. Next up is compassion, Um, and this is a good question you need to ask yourself in this quest of restoration is, do you have a genuine love for others, or is this a self-gratifying quest? Think about like what you're choosing to do. If, if you're choosing to go into mission work, is it because you just want to travel the world and you want to live an adventurous life? Or is it because you have a generous, excuse me, genuine compassion for the lost? Uh, another thing that we need to uh, focus on is truth and love in our gospel lifestyles. There must always be a balance between truth and love. And we mess up when we go too far on one or the other. Either we be uh, too truthful and we don't add love to it and then we turn people off in our defense of the gospel, or we become too loving and we disregard the truth and we just say, oh, everything's okay. Neither one of those options are good. We have to balance and include the truth and love in all of our uh, acts of restoration and gospel uh, presentation. Uh, Last but definitely not least is is this characteristic is rejection. Rejection is a characteristic of a faithful missionary. You are going to get rejected, um, so don't don't be shocked when uh, people uh, don't want to hear what you have to say, or they reject, or they walk away. There will be people. There were people that uh, despised this early on, with even Paul and so forth. The highlight verse of our entire scripture is Acts 14.22, which says this. Um, When Paul was coming back to the churches and his message that he gave to the church in Antioch, he said that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Keep your eyes there and go down to Acts 14.27 and read and compare what it says here. It says... And they arrived together at the church together. They declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Tribulation, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And God opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Tribulation was the key that opened the door of faith. It, valid, it, it made valid their presentation. It was uh, part of the process. Uh, restoration is hard work, and tribulation is part of the process. Hear me well if you are unwilling to accept tribulation, you will miss an opportunity of restoration. If you reason with yourself that restoration should come easy, then you're going to miss out. You're going to quit. You're not going to do it correctly. If you reason with yourself that God owes you restoration, you will be unwilling to make the personal sacrifice needed for restoration. You must be willing to sacrifice your pride, your finances, your time, your philosophies, your personal goals, all for the sake of the kingdom of God. The world in which we live is a mess. We can see it. There's good and there's bad, but it's, there's some messy stuff in the world that we live today. Relationships are broken both horizontally, human-on-human relationships, and vertically. We have broken relationships with our Father God. Civilizations are in decay in certain parts of the world. And if you want your world to change, you must be willing to accept the process of tribulation And you must be willing to let God change you. Restoration is hard work and rejection is part of the process. It doesn't come easy, this whole topic of restoration. It's it's hard work. We must remember God's character is that he desires all people to come to faith, to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. And he wants to make... Uh, Others have a right relationship with him. Good news is he has empowered us to carry on this mission. It's not just something that he is divinely doing and magically making everything happen. He has empowered us Christians, the church, through the Holy Spirit, to boldly go and present the gospel. We do this under the power of the Holy Spirit and under the authority of Jesus Christ. So if you are willing to join in God's kingdom work of restoration, whether it be uh, in your relationship with him, whether it be in your relationship with others, be prepared. If you say, yes, sign me up, I'm willing to join this work of restoration in my world, then God will give you opportunities to redirect others away from the slavery of sin and to the victory in Christ God will give you opportunities to offer hope for the hurting, to forgive and to seek forgiveness, to make allies out of enemies, to make right relationships with those whom you are at odds with, and to turn from bitter to better. This is the process of restoration. It takes time. Restoration is hard work, but it's worth it. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for your patient heart and how you are working hard to convince us all of your undying love for us. Lord, thank you for giving us the opportunity to participate in this hard work of restoration. Uh, Lord, we want to uh, make your kingdom come and your will be done. Holy Spirit, convince us today that restoration does not come easy. But Lord, give us courage as we trust in your powerful presence in our lives to do the hard work of restoration in our families, in our workplaces, in our communities, and in our personal walk with you. Lord, I ask these things all for your glory and for our good. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.